We got it going on, another episode. Here we are, the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode is a must listen. Today's episode has a lot to do with our future, our hunting heritage, our hunting community, our hunting brothers and sisters, our family that truly appreciates the privilege it is to be an American hunter, a worldwide hunter doesn't matter where you're born it's amazing what's going on behind closed doors around the world that's why today's episode is brought to you by our brothers and sisters at safari club international sci first for hunters become a member get involved it's easy to think ah that can't affect me ah that stuff going on out in california won't ever come east that stuff happening in new york's not going to come west or to kansas the mississippi flyway i don't care if you love chasing coons or squirrels or ducks or geese or the african dangerous five or a moose up in bc safari club is there for us we have to get involved we cannot take this for granted and always remember it is a blessing and a privilege and not entitled we are not entitled to be a hunter it's not written into our declaration of independence and that's why my guest today and his co-workers all of the people that pledged to safari club ben cassidy how are you my man brother i am doing very well uh thanks so much for having me on i think you said it better than than even i could so i don't know if, if we even need to record a podcast now <laughs> you oh. laid it all out there the threat is real and we're fighting it every day i i think that um I don't know what the feeling I get in my body when I see some of the things come up that are that take the energy of folks like you and the the focus, right? The you guys wake up and you have to deal with so many different moving parts that they could just pop up for the heck of it it seems to me. Ben, it seems like you guys have a lot of important things and then all of a sudden stuff that pops up I look at it and I'm like You've got to be kidding me, right? Like this is not even being talked about. Like it's something that I would think is an easy fix, but it 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 it's, takes a lot of energy to put a lot of this to bed. And you guys are doing this on a daily basis. But what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is like, I'm my mind is blowing on some of the things that I see that you guys have to go and put a fight up for. Yeah, I mean, kind of call it whack-a-mole. Uh, there's always something that's that's rearing its its ugly head. I mean, you think that you're fighting with the dragon, you realize the dragon has a has a sibling right behind you. Um, but like you said, you know, you, you can't rest on your laurels and think that the fight's not coming to your backyard um, just because it's in somebody else's backyard. Uh, everything is interconnected. And we see it from you know our vantage point with being an international organization. You know, the bad ideas in Brussels at the European Union, they have a way of finding their way over to Sacramento, California, then over to Washington, D.C. Bad ideas travel a lot faster than, than good ideas is what I've learned. But you do see a lot of, you know, themes and copycat legislation out there. So we really focus in at Safari Club on having really strong processes in place for how we fight these fights so that we're able to replicate them and repeat them. Uh, to success, you know, regardless of where it's being fought, you know, it's really one world, one problem, you know, um, if it's an issue here, it's probably an issue there. So we're, we're, we're up to the, up to the task and we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't love to do it. Um, always a good fight and we're all bare knuckle back alley fighters here. So 
Ben, is it when you say a word like replicate or replication and some things might look like they did in another part of the country, can you can you lay out what's going on in the UK and tell me how it has replicated what just happened not even a full year ago in the state of California? Is it kind of the same thing that's going on with bringing African animals across different country lines, international lines, state lines? Is that some of the replication that you would be hitting on when you say that word? Yeah, that, that's one right there. It's uh, different places, but the same fight. Um, you know, the UK, we're talking about, you know, trophy bands. It was proposed in the UK um, in a Queen speech back at the beginning of 2020 that they were going to do something in Parliament over there to shut down trophy importations. Um, things kind of went silent over the year with COVID, um, but it popped its head back up uh, just this you know, past week or back on May 11th, uh, the queen gave another speech where she laid out that they're going to be um, pushing hard on an animal uh, welfare action plan. And that includes a trophy ban. And over there, you know, they have their department of environment called DEFRA. And they've, you know, basically said that it's going to be the most aggressive uh, anti-hunting legislation out there. You know, they're playing in a competition to, to be the worst on hunting uh, in the world. So we're seeing that burn there and we're fighting that fight. Uh, but we are taking lessons that we've learned from other places we fought these trophy bands. Like you mentioned, Sacramento, um, you know, that's about as hostile of an arena as you could possibly have when it comes to your hunting freedoms. Um, in last uh, summer, there was a vote on the Iconic Species Act, ironic name, uh, being that it did nothing to protect, you know, these iconic species. It was rather an emotion-driven bill to shut down um, importation of trophies to the state of California. Misunderstanding is they think it's going to shut down hunting. The antis do, but it will not stop hunting um, over there. Just will stop the the movement of of, of trophies um, into the state. But we fought that hard on a number of platforms. Um, really saw an opportunity to, to connect um, voices from Africa, from the affected countries with legislators in Sacramento so that they weren't just making this decision amongst themselves, only listening to the antis, but rather hearing from people on the ground in Africa. Um, and it worked, it threw a wrench in their plans, uh, clock ended up running out on their session out there and uh, it failed um, in, the, in the midnight hour, literally at the stroke of midnight. Um, this year, the bill was reintroduced by the same uh, state senator, Stern, uh, but notably, it did not include the trophy ban language because uh, they knew where that was going to be headed. So that was staved off. But just an example of that same fight, just different place and some of the same, you know, tactics that can be put to use or, or you know, put in action um, to be able to fight back on some of these, even in the most hostile of, of arenas. But yeah, we see these fights everywhere. I mean, London is the most advanced. They have the most anti-hunting media on the planet. You know, you've got um, their newspapers over there, like The Guardian, um, that run their own um, campaigns to shut down hunting. Um, so they're in complete cahoots there. Um, they really pride themselves in being hard on hunters. So they want to take it as far as they can. And we're ready for that fight. Uh, we're seeing it also in Brussels right now with the the European Union. They're going to be having a vote coming up in June. Uh, you know, there's bad language introduced in, in Ottawa and Canada, friends up north. Um, just a matter of time before Washington, D.C. has a federal bill come out, not to mention the other states 
that are moving on trophies now with New York and Illinois and Connecticut. So same fight, just a lot of different places, same tactics, a lot of different places. Let me ask you this, Ben. When you see a bill like that get shot down in a hostile environment like California, and we all understand some of the lead there, the, the, the leadership, the politicians that are, um, you know, in cahoots or, let's say, that are aligned together and represent the state of California, you know, not to mention in our House and our Senate. If they get something shot down there, is it safe to say that they can go and light this fire under the butts of people in places like Brussels or the UK to get a win somewhere, to start the snowball effect, to start the momentum train of, all right, we did it in the UK. We, we lost out in California, but if we get the same stuff going on over here, maybe we can get more people behind us. Are they in cahoots, you think? Well, um, they're obviously everyone's reading the same news and following the same fights and trying to take lessons from from everybody else's fights. You'd be silly not to, you know, apply lessons learned in other places. I think that, you know, even if you beat it somewhere, they're still going to try to fight it somewhere else. It's not there's not really an end game to, to this battle. Uh, you, you see a lot of the same tactics, a lot of the same lessons learned applied. So they get smarter. We get smarter and the fight. The fight goes on. But, yeah, um, all these groups, the animal rights groups, big fundraising operations, don't really put anything back to conservation. They're looking for what's going to drive up more dollars. Them having an immediate, what they call a threat, is what's going to raise for them. So if if they're able to get a, a win somewhere, they're going to put all their 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 action into it. California didn't work out for them. You know, a lot of these international uh, animal rights groups are going to move their focus over to the next arena, make their hard push there. Ben. There's no secret. We've talked about it in, in the past. We have tried to do a good job of showcasing what Safari Club does worldwide. But let's bring it back a notch domestically, okay? Let's talk about where our main audience is on this podcast is the lower 48, Canada. And the, low, the, Canada, the Canadian provinces in the lower 48 continental United States. What would you tell me are the 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 hot items right now. What does a duck hunter in Arkansas, what does a whitetail hunter in Georgia, the Carolinas, there was just some stuff going on there with different counties and archery hunting. What is on the burner right now that you want us to pay attention to? How can we help with things that can be affecting us right away? And I'm not saying that, that the stuff going on in the UK and in the day, you know, the, the trophy animal, the iconic, the, the iconic act and all that does not affect a duck hunter or a deer hunter. But talk to me a little bit, Ben, about what's going on that we have to worry about as everyday hunters and fishermen in the continental United States and Canadian provinces. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, nobody cares more about the land than the land that they actually enjoy and get out on, you know, what's in their backyard. I mean, I'd love to be spending all my time on crazy international hunts. My time spent, though, on, on you know, going after local critters because uh, that's where that's where my access is um, so w- we're as tied in and as much in the fight here as we are overseas um, big things you know working on predator management our incredible legal team um, is hard in the fight um, to defend the delisting of the gray wolf in the lower 48 three lawsuits filed in northern in the district of uh, in the uh, district of Northern California, um, of all places, 
they're they're saying that the harm done by the delisting um, is, is it's going to affect the population, even though there is no population there around that district court. Uh, that's part of what we're challenging it on. But that that's a fight that's really unique to our brand. Um, nobody else does more with, with bears and wolves um, in the lower 48 than Safari Club International. Say that with absolute conviction. We were the we were the first, currently the only hunting group to be in on those cases. Um, others are going to get in, which is good. Come into the party. We need more hunting groups involved to, to, to join the fight. Um, but off the bat, we're the first ones to jump in along with NRA to, to, to get involved there and shut down these, these three lawsuits. Um, access. Wait a minute. Let's wait a minute. Let's, I, I yeah. know that access is going to be spoken upon yeah, by yeah. you and I love that, but you're telling me that there's a bill or three different lawsuits in the northern part of California, and then you make a, 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 a statement that there's not even a population there. Has there been sightings? Is there scientific proof that the land, the wild, the wildlife or the livestock is being affected by these wolves in that part of California? And if not, please finish your answer by telling me why in the hell or how in the hell can they file this when it's not even being affected? That's the question that we ask in our intervention is how can this even be filed here? They're talking about populations that aren't even there that are recovered, you know, local authorities of like, like Wisconsin. Um, but they're, they're claiming it as being harmful to their populations in that court, which isn't even there. I mean, it, it's absurd. I mean, it puts them on silly footing uh, one. Um, and it's just, it's just, yeah, there's no harm to, to, to be defended there. So, I mean, I'm excited to see where this goes um, with our fight. I mean, this has been a long, long process of delisting the wolf, um, you know, federally uh, with Fish and Wildlife Service. And it's been worked on under multiple administrations, both sides of the political spectrum. It's good with science. We have the recovery there. Um, it's time for their management to go back to the states. Okay, so talk to me, Ben Cassidy, about... I have been, I have watched personally the effects that the the bills passed in California, and I want to talk about mountain lions and cougars, running bears with hounds, um, trapping, uh, st stuff that even goes as far as when you talk about predator management, it goes all the way down to it can, you know, affect coyotes. It can affect everything that is taken in effect from, you know, skunks and anything like that. There's so much waterfowl and upland grouse and upland game birds that are affected by things that aren't necessarily looked at as predators, whether it was a skunk or a coon or a hawk or a red tailed fox and stuff like this. I've watched it in this state of California to where it is affecting livelihood it is affecting family values, and it is taking so much revenue and income out of this state to where the sportsmen and the hunters are almost throwing up their arms and saying, not only are you taking away our hunting, now you're taking away, you know, you're putting all of these taxes and waiting periods on ammunition. The gun buying process in California is unbelievable. I understand you don't have to tell me that California is a tough state to be a sportsman in, but does anybody out there have any idea how special this state is and what it has to offer the sportsmen and the sportswomen women and the next generation of hunters coming up? There are so many opportunities in this state. Why are they taking it to the, these steps of destroying this heritage in this, in this part of our country? It's complete emotion driven. I mean, 
totally ignores the science, ignores the fact that, you know, healthy populations require um, good active management. Um, it doesn't acknowledge the role of the hunter. I mean, talk about all the, the money that flows into conservation nationally through just like Pittman Robertson and how that is necessitated by, by gun sales. Um, doesn't, doesn't take any of that into account. I mean, the populations have to be managed and management includes hunting. And you take that piece out, it has to be replaced with something else. Otherwise it just throws the entire system out of whack. And that's what we're seeing just wreak havoc right now and play out in California. Um, well, when you say throw the system out of rat whack, is it ever going to stop? And I know that your answer is going to be, well, we got to come together and we have to stop these bills. But can we ever get mountain lion hunting legalized in the state of California again? Can we ever chase a bear and do a tree with hounds again in the state of California? Because I understand that it has to stop moving forward with the outlaw of, uh, you know, the outlawing of other sectors of this business and this industry and this livelihood and culture. But can we as hunters expect to ever get these rights back? Or is it just going to be that okay well we can't mountain lion hunt there so we need to be worried because it's going to come into nevada which we're overran by mountain lions they're protected in the state of california they catch them in at los angeles they release them in the warner mountain range in surprise valley around cedarville in california there's never not a time of the year where there's not a foot of snow on the top of these mountains those cats come straight down into the valley affect all the livestock and then move into the foothills of the via rim in nevada and destroy all the antelope the sheep and the mule deer so now we're getting overran with our neighbor states' cats because they're not protecting the, you know, they're not con sure. practicing predator management. Can we ever expect to get it back and, you know, institutionalized again to where we can hunt a cat or a bear with hounds in California? Yeah, I mean, it's an uphill battle and it's going to take a, a fight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen um, the next season. Um, but the longer that this problem goes on, the more it reveals itself as a massive problem to the full ecosystem, to safety, to livelihoods, um, the stronger it makes, you know, our argument in trying to get things back in place. I'm not going to say it's a lost cause given the dynamics of politics in California, but it takes long, consistent, hard work. Like going back to, you know, the gray wolf, that long fight to get it delisted finally um, in the last administration last year. I mean, that was after just building up, building up just screaming from people on the ground that were living in conflict with the wildlife of getting it done. You know, when the population levels are back to where they need to be and surpassing it, then it needs to be managed somehow. And it shouldn't be managed through taxpayer dollars. It should be managed through volunteers, hunters that are able to, to get out there and do the job that's best for the land and society. So that means that vote with scientific proof, put these bills into effect through science and not emotion. But you just heard me get emotional. So how does Safari Club tell somebody like me or some people that I know, and I'm sure you even get a little emotional because I, I vote with science. I, I, I read the science. I know what it means when you talk about, okay, the population of bears is back up. Now, if you don't start controlling them or managing them, they're going to overtake wildlife. They're going to overtake livestock. They're going to create diseases within their own um, species and that could provide, you know, that could, you know, what am I trying to say, Ben? That can make it to where the species aren't thriving anymore. They could be killed off within themselves. You know, I've seen that happen within different species of predators. Um, 
how do we not get emotional on this side when it continues to happen right in our faces? I know that we have to come together and support organizations and conservation efforts and advocacy, but what do you tell people? Hey, just pump the brakes. Don't get wound tight. Stay, no. stay, stay relaxed. Take a deep breath. No, that's, that's a really good point too. I mean, and it's, it's that false dichotomy that we have of it's science versus emotion, right? The thing is, as hunters, we have science in our back pocket. Science is on our side. Exactly. All they have on their side is emotion. We can respond with emotion. I mean, I think one of the, one of the best things folks do, you know, through like our, our advocacy through our grassroots is commenting, sending in comments that have personal anecdotes to, you know, um, wildlife authorities or to the government, um, telling that personal experience about how it's affected your life. That there's that emotional connection of, of livelihood and, and lifestyle. Um, I don't think that we have to walk away from emotion, but you also have to just always remember that you're standing on better footing than the other side. Cause you do have science on your side. You do know that hunting is conservation. It is a central tool to it. I mean, it is the basis of the North American model of conservation, right? Uh, so I think that emotion plays a role and it's important and we don't have to walk away from it, but it's also, you know, being smart about how you, how you express it. Um, again, I think that anecdotes in writing to elected officials, um, we make it really easy through our Hunter Action Advocacy Center um, you know, you just text, say SCI to seven, three, zero, seven, five, and you can get on that, um, join our advocates. Um, but we have channels that way where we help make it easy to send those personal stories, um, about how poor management or non-management is, is affecting you. Um, beside from just like the selfish side of, you know, I want to be able to go hunt. I mean, not selfish, but that's the personal side. I mean, it can go beyond that, you know, and what you're talking about, how it's just, throwing off lifestyle and livelihood. Well, when you start to think about the next section that we're going to transition into, the access, the way that I read it, and I want you to correct me, please, Ben, is this doesn't just affect hunting. Um, they, there, there's already things in place with wilderness areas and you know the controlling of vehicles and motorized vehicles and the way that we access these lands. I live in a state personally, Ben, that's probably 80%, at least 80% BLM public land. Talk to me about the effects. And I know that there's public land in California, in Utah, in Idaho, in Oregon, in Washington, and in Wyoming, in Montana. And there's this is a unbelievable. This is God's country out here when it comes to getting in your four wheeler and having fun and seeing what God and Mother Nature had in plan, had in had in mind. Right? Um, what's happening with this, Ben? Can this affect? A camper can this just affect? Can this affect a, a, a plinker that wants to take his son or daughter out and shoot the twenty-two? Can this affect hunters only? What's going on with access? The new administration and the reversal of some of the bills that were put in place by the Trump administration. Should we be concerned about this, or is this going to go away with ease? No, uh, it's a good question. I mean, the the answer right now. So the the big thing being pushed out of the administration right now is this thirty by thirty plan, and they've renamed it the America the Beautiful plan, but they originally called it thirty by thirty. So we'll just keep calling it that. And basically, it's a huge aspirational plan to conserve thirty percent of all lands and waters by the year twenty thirty. And it came from a big international treaty, you know, kind of like the Paris Accord, 
but through the uh, Convention on Biodiversity out of Europe, where around the globe, different countries agreed to, to aspire to this 30 by 30. Um, U.S., you know, with Biden as president, has agreed to, to attaining that goal. Um, very sure at this point on details of how they get there. Uh, the one thing we can really look at, for examples, are what's, is what's been done at the state level. And California is one state that passed it, um, a, t- a 30 by 30 bill last year. And the real concern with that approach from California was they never reached out to sportsmen. They never checked in with us on the plan. We are the original conservationists. Nobody manages the land or cares for the land more than hunters do. Nobody puts in more to the land than hunters do. Those are just the facts. Those are off, off the hard numbers. Um, they did not reach out. Now, with this administration, we have had conversations. Um, we have talked about, you know, the role that we play, Pittman-Robertson, uh, the benefits to, to us being able to, to manage the land, and they've taken notes on it. They put out a report that came out, you know, maybe about a month ago now, three weeks ago, and it was very short on any sort of details. Never got into land designations, like you mentioned, like wilderness areas that would shut down, you know, ATV access. Never really defined the simple difference between conservation and preservation, management or lock it up. We don't have that clarity. So, I mean, in our position, we're relying on all of our members and all hunters and advocates to be able to weigh in, to keep on reminding the administration of the role we play and that we don't want just a seat at the table. We want a good seat at the table. We want a prime throne at the table to recognize what we've done to put America and our wilderness and our wildlife in the place that it's in today. Um, You know, no one's done more. We talk about our populations right now. I mean, it's the golden age, you know, I mean, who's talking about elk walking around Kentucky, you know, naturally in Pennsylvania. That wasn't like that. Turkeys. I mean, everywhere I go, I see turkeys running around. They were, they were near dead, <laughs> you know, but 100%. it's through our model that that's brought them back to where they are to where we're all, all able to benefit on it. And now a lot more people are getting out to hunt them, which is good too. Um, so it's just prime on, it, it's key on us to be loud, to be heard, to make sure that they know that they can't go far and you know, put us in a, in a tough spot and lock us out of our land. Um, we've been really leading the charge at SCI over this last year and before, but really focusing with the new administration to get them to commit to a no net loss policy. You know, I don't expect them to open up giant swaths of refuges the way we saw in the last administration, but at least commit to not closing more down. Just maintain what's already there, improve on what's already there. And we just have not been able to get a hard commitment to that simple, simple request from the Secretary of the Interior, Deputy Secretary of Interior, or any of the other um, um, appointees that are coming in and making these decisions on behalf of of sportsmen. So we're gonna keep pounding that drum. Uh, We're gonna say, you know, actions speak louder than words. I mean, we didn't get, get that commitment, and then we look to Alaska, where we see them about to shut down 40 million acres to caribou and moose hunting, you know, in the Northwest on public land. That's devastating. That's not using the science. And the good thing is, you know, we threw out the, 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 uh, the alarm, you know, we, we sent out the bat signal, had thousands of folks, you know, SCI members and beyond sign on to a petition saying, 
No net loss. What does that mean to you? No net loss. 40 million acres lost. That's a loss. <laughs> so we've been pounding that drum. I think that they were a little caught off guard by how many folks did weigh in. And we testified during the hearing in Alaska. Um, so we're tracking that closely. But every turn, it's always going to be a fight. I mean, public lands, a lot of people have claim to it, you know, but nobody puts more into it than, than hunters do. So we deserve to have that preference on it and be able to maintain what we have, grow what we have. A lot of people might assume they know the answer to this question, but Ben, is the new administration anti-hunting? I mean, I think that with the last administration from my own, so I worked in the last administration, I worked with some incredible, incredible people there, and I could sit at the table with all my coworkers and look around the room, and I knew that everybody there, you know, uh, during whatever season it was, had their license, you know, if they had their lifetime license or they just bought it, they had a license to go fishing and hunting because that's how, how we, how we live. So we knew it firsthand, didn't have to have the nuts and bolts of hunting uh, explained to us. I can't say with confidence that that's what the staff over there is like now. So I'm not going to say anti-hunting, but maybe not fully educated at this point. So we're working hard towards that. Now, specific folks, like the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, I mean, nobody's been worse on international hunting. I mean, she has a record. She had two years as a member of Congress where she was on the record co-sponsoring and voting for bills that would be devastating for conservation by shutting down hunting. And that's, that's, the, that's the figurehead there. So lacking a champion, not having folks that actually understand it, um, and that, that cuts our workout for us. I mean, it had, had it a little bit easier um, previously where it was an automatic no-brainer priority. Now I wouldn't say it's a priority and we need to make it one. I don't want to put you on the spot with this next comment or question, but and tell me if I am, and I don't mean to go here, but you just mentioned the Secretary of the Interior and the Deputy Secretary of the Interior. Klamath Refuge, Tule Lake Refuge, Southern Oregon, Northern California, 1908 put into effect by our president as the first national federal wild waterfowl refuge. Ben, this place is in shambles. Botulism breakouts that killed over 60,000 shorebirds and waterfowl species last year. I personally went up and saw this with my own eyes, picking dead ducks and geese and shorebirds out of the water rescuing crippled and handicapped birds and rushing them to the bird alley x hospital and letting the the volunteers there bring them back to life and release them back into wild Sixty thousand lost in one botulism breakout because there's no water man they the secretary of the interior and the trump administration got involved and we were on to something the drought hits um mr lamalfa doug lamalfa played a vital role in getting five thousand acre feet of water and now they're saying they're not going to get any of it if this happens ben this refuge is going to die and it's not just about being a duck hunter and getting to go up and hunt in this area where the the the, the crops and the the agriculture and the farmer provide unbelievable sustainability when it comes to human consumption and waterfowl and wildlife consumption we get to hunt these grounds that these farmers work hard on to to manicure right and and, and get harvest the crops out of it this is going to affect mule deer and antelope and sheep and coyotes. And I mean, I could keep going hundreds of species and not to mention fish and not to mention insects. 
this is a huge thing out West. It's not even being prioritized. I don't think anymore since the Trump administration quit, if this happens and I don't know all of the details, but there are several unbelievable individuals with California waterfowl association. I know safari club has been involved. And like I said, the secretary of the interior and the Trump administration, if I'm putting you on the spot, please tell me to shut up, man. But tell me, is this on the docket? Can we get some help out here? Because the Pacific flyway is going to die without this refuge system. Yeah, I mean, obviously critical to us, critical to our members in California, um, work extremely closely with California. Uh, is it California Waterfowl Association, yep. Association, CWA. Um, that is, yeah, extremely concerning. I know that, you know, David Bernhardt, when he was secretary, made it a priority, making it a march towards addressing it. But you're right, you know, political football ends up going to another group of folks working on it. How well versed are they on the issue? How well do they know California water? Do they know what the fight is? Um, that's that's imperative that we're able to, to get them coached up and not let this fall by, by the wayside. Cause just like you said, absolutely devastating. And one of the most incredible, spectacular refuges in the planet. Um, and like you said, beyond just waterfowl, just complete ecosystem collapse, um, absent of, of the needed water. And if they care about the species, which all of these acts say they do, right? The iconic animal act, the trophy act, everybody's anti-killing animals. But if they cared about the species, do they understand the science of what happens with these broods of ducks that go there to replicate? They go there to breed. They go that the, the mallard population in the state of California has been affected in so many ways because of the onslaught of all almonds or almonds, how you pronounce it, walnuts, all of the rice country being, you know, killed up and put into trees and orchards, all of the, all of the moist soil units, all of the grasses and all of the breeding areas that these ducks had, had safety and security. And a lot of it's dying because of the economy and it's being taken out. So now they have a place like this refuge. They go there to breed and then they go there on their migration routes down the flyway back up the flyway in order for them to survive to get up and be healthy enough to breed to keep more birds in the population and in these flyways do they not understand that they're killing them off naturally by not allowing this refuge to be saved that's what blows my mind is anti or hunter this means that we're going to lose them whether we shoot them with a 12 gauge or we kill them naturally by not allowing them to replenish their nutrition's nutritional system when they're up and down the flyway, that's what just, it blows my mind when I think about what's going on there. Right. It should be able to unite everybody behind it. I mean, way more devastating effects of them losing habitat than there is to anybody ever hunting them. Obviously Uh, that's just not, not, not an alternative. It's, it's not an alternative and it drives me nuts to think that, that there's a fight that there can't be some kind of agreement on the science of, look, we're going to fight for hunting you guys are going to fight against it. But in the meantime, can we please protect these birds in the ways necessary to make them flourish? Because you mentioned turkeys. We have turkeys in Nevada now. We, they are flourishing in many different flocks and different areas of this state in a high desert state. We don't 
we have more turkeys here than we probably have trees. And that's an exaggeration, but turkeys sleep in trees. We have turkeys now because of NWTFs, SCI, trade outs for our wild sheep to states like Texas and bringing turkeys here and planting sheep in yeah. Texas. But when I see stuff like affected because people are like, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to, that, that refuge doesn't need it. That's more of a hunting place. That's what I think about. It's like, oh no, people hunt there. That's for hunters. That's a hunter. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's a sanctuary. It's a refuge. It's a rest area. It's security. Yes. Does it get hunted and some of them taken out of the ecosystem? Sure it does. But gosh, dang it, Ben, if, the, if it goes away, it's going to kill millions of species of, of, of not species, but hundreds of species and million, you know, p- parts of that species of all those different species. I'm, I'm wound up, Ben. I'm wound up right now. No, as you I'm should be. Up. I mean, Jesus, talk about apocalyptic. I mean, duck apocalypse, terrible. It's yeah, it's it's one of those things to where I just hope that, you know, with the help of Safari Club and CWA coming together on that, I keep my fingers crossed every day. Like, please let something happen beneficial to this area. Cause I watched it, man. When you I, I had tears in my eyes. Mr. Lamalfa had tears in his eyes. Rocky Merlot had tears in his eyes. I love to shoot ducks and eat them on my Traeger grill. But gosh, when I see him dying like this, it just put a lump in my throat and tears running down my cheeks. And I can't imagine of a group of ducks and geese flying over this. Oh my gosh, there's our place. There's the Klamath. And then let's get in there. And then boom, that botulism hits him. And, and then it just it just keeps spreading and spreading through the maggots getting on a duck and eating it. And then oh, a duck God. or goose landing in there. They eat that maggot. The next thing you know, the birds are paralyzed. I know that this is it's affecting me personally because I am a duck hunter, but this is just one example of how us not working together with the new administration or antis coming together to understand the science is going to affect the long-term reproducing reproductive system of a lot of different species of wildlife. And that's what kills me is that uh, it might not affect a coyote when he eats that botulism, but when there's no other animals in this area for the coyote to eat, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go smoke all of the ranchers cattle, and then he's going to affect the livelihood of this ranching community. And that's not good for anybody. So it's just, it all gels together for me. And I watch this whole system just unraveling in this part of the country. And I'm, I'm, I'm more emotionally tied to it because yeah, I love to duck hunt, but this is going to affect mule deer and antelope and sheep and predator hunting and fishing and whatever you, the salmon runs in the rivers up there. It's going to affect all of this if we don't get it under control. hundred percent. We go back to just talking about our issues emotionally though. Like that's powerful, man. Like that's, that's the sort of emotion and storytelling that they need to hear in the administration that brings out the life of, of why it matters. I mean, just even a, di- totally disattached from, from, you know, your, your, your hunting. I mean, just the connection to the land there and the care for the species. I mean, how does that not bring both sides together? Well, I'm going to say this, and you could tell me how you feel about this, but the days that I spent up there and the folks that I met, they were hunters. They were hunters. It was all hunters in these boats, saving these ducks. And I know an anti could go, yeah, because you want to shoot them in October. No, no knucklehead. (laughs) No, but it was all hunters, man. It's all hunters that are in NWTF and RMEF and mule deer. There's a lot of second amendment. There's NRA members in all of this, just like Laird said, president and CEO of Safari club international. If you hunt, 
SCI. If you're a gun owner, make sure you're a member of NRA, but they jail together. My point is, is that every time that I go and I see these efforts, whether it's up in North Dakota or the provinces of Canyon or Canada and all over the States that, and I travel to all of them, it's always hunters that are given back to our wildlife. So why is that hard to grasp? Why do they want to stop that? If you outlaw that, do they really think these animals and these populations of wildlife are going to thrive? It screws up the narrative, right? Yes. <laughs> they don't want to look wrong, but it's like the land that's used is the land that's loved. Like if you have a deep connection and love for the land because you spend time on it, regardless of your activity, you're you're going to want to protect it and make sure that it's as good for you uh, as it will be for, you know, generations to come. Um, but that totally messes up the narrative. And it's just, it it tries to disqualify, you know, your, your connection. But you, like you said, at the end of the day, the folks that are doing the most and giving back most to that land are, are the hunters because they're invested. I mean, we see it through our chapter network with all the work that they do, you know, in their backyards. I think it's one thing that makes SCI extremely unique. It is one thing that makes SCI extremely unique is 30% raised from banquets goes back to, you know, the mothership to like the national SCI. The rest of it, 70% stays in the backyard to go towards um, conservation efforts, um, you know, like protecting someone like Klamath. 100%. So this brings up where we're at in our society today with what happened in 2020 with, I don't know how you, it's hard for me to say these words anymore because I'm scared of them. Uh, the pandemic, the COVID, a um, lot of new hunters and shooters out there. Man, 790% increase in fishermen. Now, the mystery, the secret, the, the sauce that we need with SCI and other organizations and hunters is how do we keep them? If we're shutting down areas for these newbies to go hunt and they can't afford to go buy 100 acres outside of Memphis or Nashville and, and grow food plots for whitetail and turkeys, or they can't afford to go and, and get an outfitter in northern you know, Missouri and hunt with Tony Vandemore and the McCauley's at Habitat Flats, how do we keep them, Ben? How do we say, hey, we got you. You're here. You're part of what we're doing. Don't go anywhere. But hey, we don't have anywhere to hunt. They just took my place away from me in Kentucky, whatever it is. How do we keep them now? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because we see them as like folks that just went out for the first time or just got back in the field. We want to make sure that they do it again, right? And that's lowering the barriers to access. And that's not just physical access, but it's financial access. Um, it's access to information. It's us making it as easy as possible. Us being, you know, not just mentors, but good mentors where we're able to, you know, make it as easy as possible for people to not just get in the field, but to stay in the field and to keep coming back. Um, we work really closely with the entire community um, to make that as easy as possible. Um, whether it's, you know, fighting on the, in the East where there's blue laws still in place to open up Sunday hunting. So we have another day to get out hunting or working hard to be able to have, you know, hunter education classes um, available online and not in classes where people can do them on their own time. You see some states that relax those rules during the pandemic, um, but we want to see that become permanent where you're able to, to keep getting folks in. I, I don't know what, I can't remember what the numbers are, but they were astounding for like New York for Hunter Ed. They, they went to an online platform over last year and the numbers just shot through the roof and then people got out there. We need to make sure that, you know, that they're, that they're able to, to maintain that experience 
enjoy it and just feel welcomed. We don't want hunting to seem esoteric and complicated. Um, and it goes down to a lot of the, 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 the hoops and hurdles that, you know, we've grown accustomed to jumping through, but trying to knock some of those down um, so that more people can, can not just get out, but enjoy it and want to come back and keep doing it. But again, the big difference that we always have to keep in mind is, you know, we constantly talk about our, our hunting heritage. That's not necessarily what brought a lot of these new folks into the field. That's not a message that really sells talking about the heritage. What sells is the experience and the connection to the outdoors. So I think a lot of it comes down to our messaging and, you know, being able to share in, you know, our passion with their newfound passion. I love that. And we also talk about, I want you to talk to me in your opinion, Ben, on these new hunters are coming in. You mentioned online. And it used to be to where you'd go with your dad or your mom and we'd all sit at the Department of Wildlife and listen to an instructor. We'd go to the local sporting goods store and have a class and you had to pass a test and you got you got demonstrations. Here's how you fold open and over under. Here's how you carry a gun if somebody's in front of you or you always are in front of the next person. Here's how you climb a fence or go through a fence with a firearm. All Skin of this a squirrel stuff. up here in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> so now you start thinking about online. Are we really getting the substance of the the most important part of all this is the responsibility of being a conservationist, a hunter, a gatherer, a provider, and a gun owner, and a shooter, and a Second Amendment supporter, et cetera. It's a responsibility. It is a privilege. But with that privilege comes a huge responsibility, Ben. So how do we let these people know that we have to fly this flag right? We have to be a strong ambassador a positive influence on the next generation or the newbies that are coming into it. We don't disrespect the resource and the animals. We don't put a video on social media of a coyote and a snare just because there's a coyote and a snare. You respect that coyote because he's part of this. He's part of this ecosystem. You respect snow geese just because there's no limit on them in the spring. You don't just show a video of you throwing them into the back of your truck. There's right ways to do all of this. I'm not getting on a soapbox, Ben Cassidy, but I am saying there's a right way to execute the promise for the future of the next generation of hunters to come. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And I think that we, we do as a community, a great job of self-policing. We could always do a better job of it. I think that's what it comes down to is hunters setting the example and expecting, you know, the right approach. I don't think that there's, I don't think there's a better way to police it is, is, is we have to instill, you know, our, our tradition in folks that are coming into it because we can't afford to not have the right flag flown. There was a time in my life in the eighties that it was cool to have your mule deer head hanging out of the back of your truck or tied off to your 1987 Honda four wheeler or three wheeler at that time. <laughs> is, is that still cool to do? Is that good for our culture in our community band to ride down the road with a dead animal. I know it was proud for us in the area that we grew up, but is it just some more ammo for them to use against us? Can we control this kind of thing by not showing the death as much? Or do we have every right to show that trophy in all the ways that we always have? Because social media, it's not a back of a truck anymore and a hundred people seeing it. Now it's a picture that is out there. It's out there in the cloud or whatever they call it. Anybody can see it. How yeah. do we how do we police that and take the right picture and not release the wrong picture? It, does that make sense of what I'm saying of how we show off or showcase our trophies? Is it even worth showcasing them anymore? I think it is. I mean, I think a grip and grin is obviously part or like hero shot is, you know, part of the experience. Um, 
I mean, I would just be mindful of, you know, who you share with. I, I remember just in my own hunter education class, you know, that I took in Virginia as a kid, um, that was part of the lesson was after you're done hunting, you got the deer in the back of the truck, you know, be mindful of not just going to McDonald's afterwards and parking your car for breakfast with your friends with the buck hanging out the back, right? I mean, you think it's cool, but not everybody does. Um, maybe it's not the best look for the community and doesn't tell the full story of, you know, two seconds to, to pull the trigger, one second to pull the trigger, but hours of time spent out in nature. It doesn't feel, tell the full story. So it, it isn't always completely helpful, but I mean, again, it comes down to self-policing. I think if you look at like our social media accounts, I think they really celebrate the full spectrum of the experience and they don't focus on any one specific aspect. So if somebody heard this and they do the grip and grin, which I do, they do the pile pick, mallards yeah. mallards hanging from their orange feet on a duck strap from a tree or the duck blind just be cognitive right just be conscious of it that it's there's a right way to do it right yeah and i mean i don't post photos that don't have some context to them tell a story along with it give the background talk about how delicious it's going to be and how you're going to you know put the best use to it talk about the experience and the thrill and what you got out of it uh there's more than just having just the photo. Give it context. Great advice. Do you yourself personally, if you're looking at our page, do you read the caption that goes along with a hunt photo or do you just scroll through it and see the death? I mean, I personally look at the the context to get the story because I've seen enough photos of, you know, dead deer and ducks. I want to know what's behind it. I'm a sucker for a good story. So I, I do look at that and I think it, you know, having that context, it just gives it more character and makes it a more enjoyable share. Talk on this point for a second, please, Ben Cassidy, because you've mentioned lawsuits during this podcast and this conversation, which has been awesome for me because I, I was driving home today and I was listening to some, some Guns N' Roses and Metallica. I was getting fired up to talk to you because I- Old I, Metallica I, pre-91 or-, or No, all old, all old Metallica. Okay. They, they, jumped the shark, they jumped the shark with the Black Album, in my opinion. Okay, good, I'm, good, a, good. I'm a kill them all. I'm a master of puppets. Maybe a little, I, like, I like the uh, Injustice for All album. It was pretty good. Of course. But- um, um, they just kind of where Lars got a big head though. So, I mean, went, it went downhill from there, but went, went after Napster. I mean, yeah, they become politicians <laughs> and you mentioned lawsuits. We talked about the wolves in Northern California, which I'm going to look into that when this is done. Um, becoming a member of Safari club international, whether you're 18 or 60, whether you've never been to Africa and you only hunt squirrels in West Virginia, like you said, and I do, I have a good recipe. I'm going to send you in the cookbook. Um, and I, I guarantee you already have one. Um, where does the money go? Does that money that I send you for my membership, my life membership, whatever, uh, you know, level I sign up for membership level, does it go to, do you guys employ attorneys? Are you telling me that you have attorneys employed from Safari club that are fighting for hunters rights? Yep. We have in-house attorneys, wildlife biologists, lobbyists, consultants, we have the full package and team for defending the freedom to hunt. It goes right back into defense. I mean, it's about as transparent as it can be. It goes right back into being able to fight the fights wherever they're being fought. First for hunters means hunters of all ilks, you know, from squirrel to, yeah, like you said, dangerous five. Uh, 
across the gamut, across the board. Uh, no one really has the same recipe that we do for getting in fights, regardless of species and leading with this is to defend the freedom to hunt, the hunter. The hunter is central to our model of conservation. Without the hunter, it collapses. So we listen to the hunter and we represent the hunter. We use all of our tools to be able to speak on behalf of the hunter. And you know, every member that joins just grows our army. I mean, spend a lot of time going in a meeting with you know, high elected officials and they're not taking time out of their day to sit down with Ben Cassidy uh, they see, you know, that I'm on the shoulders of our membership and that they're in everyone's backyards and they're all engaged in the community and they're all conservationists, keeping the land beautiful. Um, so that's really what gives us, you know, our, our weight and swagger and our ability to fight the fights that we fight. So with our prior topic right before that question with social media, I feel with what has gone on with your board member, what has gone on with some other hunters. Um, I feel that the analytics or the governing by these social media groups, they've, you know, we all know what they've done to our former president, Donald Trump. We know what they've done to several of the, the Paul, you know, the, the, the platforms that people had a voice on. It's been affected. I think in the hunting realm, I've seen it personally. I've watched it happen with our pages personally, and we're small compared to some of the hunting platforms out there. Do you agree that it's being affected through analytics or governing by these social media platforms and their management and their, you know, their, their, their owners? And is there going to be governing of SCI stepping in on this as a freedom of speech kind of act that we should be able to use this platform as much as any of the other people that are using it to support their efforts or their livelihoods or their, you know, their cultures. Chad, I love this whole question to build up. I've spent so much time thinking about this because it just drives me crazy and it's getting worse and worse to now you're seeing demonetizing, deplatforming for photos of somebody that just happens to have a rifle slung over their shoulder in the woods. There's not even what we were saying was they like somebody would say that's, you know, an offensive photo. Um, it's just it's just crazy. And it's not enough anymore for Safari Club or for any group that's fighting for hunters to only advocate and lobby elected officials. I mean, Facebook is like a fourth arm of government at this point. We're talking about their, you know, analytics and all that. They have a Supreme Court. They have community guidelines that they reference. You know, if at least with like the federal government, not gonna say they always listen, but there's comment periods, there's ways to petition the government. That needs to be in place uh, with a Facebook. They need to, to hear from hunters um, to be able to set those guidelines accurately. Because what we're doing is living our lives, you know, legally in good ways, in a healthy lifestyle. Um, and then it's being challenged by what they call community guidelines because they're just listening to one side of the conversation. And we're completely at SEI keyed into this fight. Um, we're, we're unrolling a campaign um, that's focused on, you know, continuing to defend folks like you, Chad, or anyone else that's had to deal with this, you know, unnecessary sort of deplatforming where your account gets yanked over nothing and then you're having to fight with the mystery box, trying to figure out how to get everything turned back on. Um, 
there just needs to, there needs to be a better fight on our side, you know, that we're leading with our legal team, everybody to get a process in place and an open dialogue with these platforms. So we're able to push back and challenge it as much as the other side side is right now, because we're just seeing really unnecessary limits on just first amendment free speech. I mean, complete legal, you know, good activities um, just drives me crazy. So if I were to ask you to tell a story about being deplatformed, would you be able to, to, to tell, tell one? Would you, do way you have more friends? Than, way more than one. And then do you have friends that have also oh, had yeah. the same experience? Yeah, I thought so. So, I mean, just think about that and have that multiplier effect. I mean, we need to get all of these, you know, experiences put together and just bombard Facebook with it. I mean, that needs to be dictating the guidelines. I've just watched our account be put on suspension by TikTok for 30 days over no explanation, assumption of hunting, because that's what we're doing. I just watched a young lady in Wisconsin or Minnesota, 300 plus, 300,000 plus followers, Ben, taken off of TikTok with no explanation and no, like, oh, we're going to give you 30 days, gone for good. And I'm talking revenue-based, sponsorship-based, partnership-based, you know, flying the flag the right way, gone. So I see, I've seen it happen at least five times in the last 10 days where I'm sitting there going, whoa. And then we'll put up a picture like that picture a year ago would have done this. And for it to only get this, there's something going on. It's, it's become more and more obvious to me every day and to the point to where I am challenging my creative prowess to trick them into getting some stuff. It's hard. It's tough yep. to be a hunter on social media. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, you know, how important it is like policy personnel is policy, how important it is to have people in these decision-making positions to understand the role of hunting and why it's not bad. But I mean, you, you look at like a Facebook board, I imagine they're all from Stanford and Harvard and not much experience in the field. Right. So, I mean, education needs to start now. And it goes back to how we started the conversation talking about emotion. We got the science, we got the emotion, tell the story. Let's get all these stories over um, to, to Facebook and other platforms to start, you know, ruffling some feathers. I mean, it, it may, it, it's complete suppression of freedom of speech. Got it. it, it it's amazing that it can happen. It's, it's happening right before our eyes. It literally is. We have. Yeah. And it gets worse. I mean, I remember like a few years back, I remember like Steve Ranella posting one where he got the sensitive, you know, content and all that and making jokes about it, like how lame it was. And it was kind of a little shocking and surprising then, you know, yeah. and then it just started to build up and get hit more and more and more and more. Um, it's not yeah. going to, I don't think it's going to stop. I don't, you want to invest in my new business. It's going to be, um, my hunt. It's like MySpace mixed with Facebook mixed with hunting. We got to come up with something. I know that that's a joke, but, and I know that there's a lot of intelligence that goes into building these social media platforms, but they're causing a lot of downfall in our communities and our 
everyday substance of our society, in my opinion. I've seen depression caused by not getting enough likes or being as pretty as the other girl or having as many followers, jealousy, envy. There's a lot of things with this instant gratification and this instant ability to grab onto somebody's life and see what they're doing. And everybody's always happy. Nobody is depressed or sad anymore. And then we go on there and where I'm going with this is I'm not, I'm not getting a pity party. What I'm saying is that I want my daughter and my nephew and their friends to understand how much we value this lifestyle of hunting. And if they go on to social media when they're allowed to, and they come of age to be able to even have one, if I ever allow them to, I want them to see it done the right way and not be like, daddy, why are they shaming you? Why are they not letting you be out there? Because I, I want them to understand how special hunting is. And if they watch social media and how we're treated, they're not going to think that hunting is that special. Because they're influenced by this, man. A dad and a mom and an aunt and an uncle can only say so much. And hopefully they believe us. But there is that time in a kid's life and adolescence and teenage years and all that, that they're going to be affected and they're going to be inspired or influenced by other realms. And this is one that can make them go, hunting's not good, but it is good. Even if it's subconscious and subliminal, if it's all a race and like outside, out of sight, out of mind, then it seems like it's taboo and doesn't fit into society, which is not not the case. It's a misrepresentation. Just like how everything is happy, you know, go lucky online. It's not a real window into humanity, into lifestyle. Man, I think that we've just, I think we, I don't think we've solved any world problems today, but I think we, (laughs) I think we have a good start of maybe create any either though, (laughs) (laughs) but we, but we have some follow-up to do on like, this stuff's important and I want people to take it serious. And I want the message to get out there that, there's never been, in my opinion, as mu- as good as hunting can be right now, it's because of us. It's because of hunters, in my opinion. And we're under attack in a lot of ways. And we have been. And Safari Club is there to have our backs. And when you made that comment, and I want to end it like this, because I know you probably got to go watch a Nationals game. You probably got to go eat some sushi because there's great. You're probably going to drive across the bridge over to Maryland and eat crab all night and send me a picture and make me jealous or put it on your social media. Like, look at all these crabs. I'm Soft dipping shells them. are in season. Soft, <laughs> Soft are shells season. are in season. So <laughs> you made a comment about they're not going to sit down with Ben Cassidy. They're sitting down with me because they know that I'm on the shoulders of all of these thousands of people that, that are in your backyards or in your communities or in your voting sectors. We have to stay there. We have to know that the support of SCI is real and we have to keep putting people on there for you guys to stay on their shoulders. We have to be to where when they knock the front row down, the second row pushes the front row back up because the third row has the back of the second row. So we got extra strength. And I know, and I know what people know when I say we need to come together, drop the ego Get rid of the mentality that it can't affect you. This is affecting us already and our brothers and sisters all over the world that have the right to hunt. Jim, there's people that have been saying this and fighting the good fight for a long time. SCI has done a great job. And I think the last two years, in my opinion, of becoming more, um, more uh, acknowledging that a duck hunter does matter. And now we know that we always did to SCI because you guys have come at us and said, look, this isn't about a money deal. This isn't about a safari. Like Laird talks about is a journey. It's an experience, right? It's not just going to Africa because that's been coined a safari for photography or hunting, you know, by the media in the past. So 
I appreciate what you guys are doing. I want people to understand how important it is to have you guys on our shoulders and have the strength of all of us because we're way stronger together. So thank you for doing what you're doing, Ben. Wouldn't want to do anything else. It's it's the best job in the world. And again, it's just because of the army of folks that we have, you know, the friends we have, like you, Chad, I mean, just giving us a voice right now to just talk about all these issues. I love all the species we just talked about, all the different corners and pockets of land that we love. I do think that we've come up with some more items to work on. I am proud that we did not ruin anything today. <laughs> I'm proud of that. And and now all I, all I can picture is being in Maryland or somewhere up in that area, catching rockfish and eating stripers, which are called rockfish in that area of the country, or Rock. or eating crabs. You know, out here at West, they're called striped bass, stripers. Up there, they're like, we're going rockfish. And I'm like, all right, can't wait to eat a rockfish. Never happened. Your rockfish are like <laughs> totally different beasts, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah. our rockfish are totally like different. I pulled, it, I pulled it up, and it's a, a striped bass, a striper. And I'm like, oh, I love these things, man. They're, and the, the captain cooked them right on the boat. That, that area is so rich. And the waterfowl, just you talk about waterfowl regulations, the, the eastern shore in the Chesapeake Bay, it's going through some heck right now with oh, mallards and Canada geese and all of these populations and limits and gut. It's so the cans are down to one, right? It's like, I, I'm not flying to Maryland anymore, Ben, to kill one goose. And Nobody I'm not is. saying just me. I'm Nobody's going to make that trip for one goose. No. It's tough. It's tough right now. There's so much that we talked about today. Thank you. Send me a picture of the soft shell, whatever you eat tonight. You're going to be dipping it. I, I will tell you, all, all the sea duck guides are, are loving the limit on the on the geese, though. Oh, <laughs> I bet you 100 bucks. Like, why, would you waste your, why would you waste your time in a pit when you can be out on the water? <laughs> yeah, get out here. Get out here in a skull boat. Ben Cassidy, <laughs> Safari Club International. Safari Club. Safari Club. SCI.org. SafariClub.org, SCIFirstForHunters.org. Yeah, that's it. SafariClubFirstForHunters.org. Um, become a member. I don't know how to get the – I don't know. I think that's the best thing we can start off with, Ben, is get educated, understand what's going on out there, and understand what SCI is doing behind the scenes, behind closed doors. When you're sleeping in California, it's 9 o'clock in D.C. Ben's already up on Capitol Hill with a suit and tie on fighting for our rights. That's just like waking up and the farmers in his combine in Kansas tilling the land that you're going to go shoot a turkey, a whitetail, a predator, or a duck or a goose on. We cannot take it for granted that we just wake up and we get to go hunting. Hunting. This is not entitlement, Ben Cassidy. This is a privilege. It's not a right, it's a freedom. It's a freedom, and we have to fight for that freedom, just like our military fights for our freedoms overseas and protects us, and we can lay our head on our pillows and sleep with dignity and class, knowing that we're doing the right things with our efforts for wildlife and habitat. We are hunters. We need to be united even more than we are right now. Get involved with Safari Club International. Ben Cassidy, thank you very much. Any more closing words? Chad, no, I just want to say thanks, and to all the listeners, thank you for tuning in. I mean... Like you said, freedom isn't free. We fight for it every day in every single corner. Nobody else is doing it for the hunters, regardless of what you're chasing, where you're chasing it. Um, all of money goes back into all the work we put out to make sure that this fight is fought the right way. We're taking creative um, approaches and learn strategies to being able to fight these same fights, regardless of what the arena is and just can't do it without, you know, members like folks listening in or who are considering it. You know, if you don't know us yet, just text SCI to 73075, 73075. 
and you can get into our advocacy center where we'll keep you posted on any issues that are going on that'll affect you in your backyard or here in Washington or abroad for that matter. Um, we don't inundate, but we do tell you when the, uh, the red alarm is on and we need hunters to, to stand up and unite. And that's if we're fighting on access or Facebook deplatforming or trophy bans or any species. So, you know, appreciate everyone taking the time to listen in and, you know, Chad, obviously giving us the platform to, to talk on everything. I mean, always love these conversations and always happy to, to, to have them uh, more. I know that we, we have some to do's coming out of here with Klamath and Facebook and beyond. So I'm excited for the next conversation to report back. Yes, sir. It's going to be fun. That's Ben Cassidy, Safari Club International. Y'all get involved. Check us out thefowllife.com on instagram at thefowllife tv we got a lot more coming in the future with safari club i'm proud life member and i can't wait for y'all to see what we're going to be doing over the next year i'm fired up that's ben cassidy thank you all for subscribing downloading listening to the podcast check out our sister podcast this life ain't for everybody and where the payment ends we talk sci over on those platforms as well brand new episodes of the foul life tv airing july 2nd exclusively on the outdoor channel sci will be all over those episodes this is the california tapes i decided we got to get this message out about California because it's spreading eastward a lot quicker than y'all think. So check out brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life premiering July 2nd exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Tom Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. (laughs) 